right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time that. Alright? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, how's it going? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN with Adam Dravetta. I am Derek Johnson on KLWN. We will be joined by the head coach of the KU women's basketball team, Brandon Schneider at 345 and another win last night. Uh, we will also be joined by Michael Swain of 24-7 Sports, Fog.net, coming up at 420. We'll also have our, you know, we did our NFL playoff fantasy drafts for the last two weeks. We're going to do one for the Pro Bowl. Don't know if I'll watch it. But I we're found do out one. about that at noon today that we are having one for the Pro Bowl, by the way. I just, you know, why I not? like it. I'm, hey, I'm not complaining. Anything, you Adam, know, there are two football games left in this season. I know we got to one is the most Pro of it. You're right. We do have to make. I remember when I was a kid, um, it was, I think this was back. Wasn't there a time? I'm not making this up, right? The, the Pro Bowl used to be after the Super Bowl, right? Uh, I'm almost not positive to my that's watching the case. lifetime. I don't, mm. I'm almost positive it was. And the reason I think that is because, um, I remember watching. Like, I remember thinking, oh, it's Sunday, but football's over. And um, I flipped on this thing, and it said the Pro Bowl. And I said to my mom, what's this? And she said, oh, it's the Pro Bowl. It's like the All-Star game, but for football. And I thought, oh, my God, there's one more day of football. Yes! Actually, yeah, you're right. Uh, between 1970 and 2009, okay. the Pro Bowl I was, was usually say, held the weekend after the Super Bowl. And here's the best. This is, this is a, a super random. But back in the day, they had... Uh, you had um, your these these players like Reggie White was in the commercial, but they had these NFL players where they were for Chunky Soup from Campbell's. This is, we're getting we're starting the show way off track, but uh, there these commercials for Chunky Soup by Campbell's where an NFL player uh, like Reggie White was a big star, and it was like their mother would also be in the commercial. And their mother would be like out at practice, like making sure they got enough, like a good meal to eat. So they gave them the chunky soup. And I loved those commercials so much. So my mom got, I, I, she went to the store, bought me some chunky soup and I got eat, to eat my chunky soup and watch one last game, the Pro Bowl. And that is my earliest Pro Bowl memory, Derek. How do you like that one? Awesome. Um, yeah, we'll go over more of this, but Tom Brady has the most Pro Bowl appearances or, or Pro Bowl selections. He never really appeared. Um, do you know former Chiefs player who was tied second on that list? Most Pro Bowl selections. I don't know. I got tied at fourteen with Peyton Manning, Bruce Matthews, oh, Merlin Olsen. Fourteen of them. Yeah. So it ain't Derek. Uh, I was going to say Derek Thomas, but that's incorrect. Fourteen Pro Bowls. Is yep. he a modern? Chief? No, not all of them were with the Chiefs. Is he? A, was he a modern player? Uh, what do you define modern? Um, I would say yes. Okay, but I don't know. You know, like it's not Travis Kelsey. Um, yeah, but uh, was it Willie Rofe? No, it was Tony Gonzalez. Oh, okay, yeah. All right, yeah. that makes sense. So anyway, we'll do that draft later on in the show. I, I did want to kind of start off this show. Um, 
you know, uh, we saw a good amount of the two-guard lineup. I, I went back earlier today and kind of looked specifically when Dewan and Joe Harris, or not <laughs> Dewan Harris and Joe Yesifu were on the Which floor. If, if at the they same become time. a starting tandem, that's going to be what we're the what yeah. they're called now. Joe Harris. If, if this team calls, catches fire with those two starting, it's going to be Joe Harris or DeJoe. 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 <laughs> yeah. DeJoe uh, Harris. Foo. Um, but we saw basically 19 minutes. It was, it was about 18 minutes and and change in the second half where they were on the floor together. We saw a little bit of it. In the first half, and and KU had 22 turnovers in that game, 16 in the first half, six in the second half. So I, I went and looked when they were on the floor together. How many of these turnovers occurred when that happened versus when there was maybe just one of them on the floor? Maybe when it was Bobby Pettiford and, and Dewan Harris or whoever. So Joe Yesifu and Dewan Harris were on the floor together from 12:27 to 8:50 in the first half, and then from 0:15 to zero. So uh, about three minutes, about four minutes worth of play. Um, in the first half together, they had just one turnover. In the second half, they were together on the court from 1840 to 1404, and then from 1228 till the end of the game. They had five total turnovers in that span. So if you add it all up, Dewan Harris and Joe Yasufu played together on the court at the same time for 20 minutes and 56 seconds in that game against Iowa State. And in that span of 20 minutes and 56 seconds, KU had six turnovers, which... Basically averaging you say, like 20 12 minutes. a game, 11 exactly. and a half to 12 a game. You double it, 11 and a half, 12 turnovers per game, which I think you would absolutely take. And that also means on the flip side, to compare it, that in the 19 minutes and four seconds that Dewan Harris and Joe Yasufu were not on the floor together, they had 16 turnovers, which that equates to maybe 32, 33 a game. So as you can see, there was a very big drop-off between how KU was able to handle ball pressure, was able to just hold on to the basketball when they had two guards on the floor at the same time. And I, and I think this goes into two different conversations. One, of how important having two guards on the floor can be to hold on to the basketball. And I think number two, also the importance of how well Joe Yesifu played last night. They're two separate but also combining conversations. Um, as far as like a, a target number for turnovers and, and stuff, Adam did some research on on past Final Four years with, with Bill Self. So what is what is kind of the typical um, target number, I guess, for, for most amount of turnovers you'd want? So I went through every game of the actual tournament in years they made the Final Four, but right now if we're just looking at the season, um, they're and to be clear, they were actually in turnovers per game. They were really they were ranked pretty low every season. They made the final four. Now the the thing to keep in mind though is that they didn't. They also probably had more possessions than a lot of teams because they play. Even with Bill Self, they still play pretty quick. Anyway, uh, 2007-08, the national title team averaged 13.2 turnovers per game. It is worth noting that they actually had they were around or actually above that average in the tournament that year but for the season they averaged 13.2 tournament or turnovers per game uh the 11-12 team the t-rob tyshawn team 13 even exactly 13 turnovers per game and then the best of the final four teams came in the 17-18 season with Devonte, malik newman uh svee etc etc um 11.7 turnovers per game but in all of those they were somewhere in the hundreds or even 200s as far as their national ranking so their turnovers per game was actually ranked relatively low having said that though that could be because they're playing a lot more possessions than other teams so hovering between 
11 and a half to 13. But basically, that means that the time that Dewan and Joe were on the floor would together. Would be in that, that sweet spot. Right. That just shows you how important that was. I mean, you're just not throwing the ball away. You're getting shots up. You're increasing your chance to make a shot because you even took a shot, right? That's all very important. Based on that, and, and when you look at, you know, KU's biggest weaknesses or KU's biggest deficiencies, however you want to term it, we've talked a lot about the defense, we've talked about the athleticism, all that stuff. This team is seventh during Big 12-only games in turnover rate. They are ninth in steal rate offensively. So they turn it over too much. And in that Iowa State game, it was happening too much. It was weird that they were even winning at halftime despite having that. But they were turning over too much, 16 in the first half. And you settled that down by playing a two-guard lineup. So I guess I'll lead to the first question here. What do you attribute more to those turnover numbers being down when Dewan and Joe were on the floor? Is it just the base idea of having two point guards? Or is it the idea that Joe Yesifu specifically helped turn that number down? I'll say this. I, I'll fully admit that I, I I haven't seen numbers of what they're like with two guards and one of them being Remy. It's like Dewan and Remy, for example. Um but I think it I think it probably has more to do with two guards because I don't think you can just throw out anybody. Like Joe Yesifu played fantastic. I mean, Bill Self called him the player of the game. I, I can't remember his exact words, but if you go to the Facebook, the team Facebook or Twitter page and they show the post game locker room, he said, um, and he talked about how great all, all the players played, but then he said, but the, the guy, the, the player of the game or the most important player, something like that. And he pointed right at, at Joe Yesifu. And so, you know, he, he him playing at that level mattered a lot. But I also think just having two guards, that that means a lot. I think that takes pressure off of the other. Um, if the defense chooses to collapse, I think that as good as this team is and as important as passing is on this team, you, you probably want guys, and especially as much as cutting is important to this team's offense, um, you want good passers if, if you're going to have an offense that involves a lot of cuts. Yeah, and, and I guess that leads to the next question for me, because I do agree, I think it is kind of a two-guard thing. Does this team need to be playing two lead guards to hit its ceiling? I mean, I don't mean for 40 minutes. Yeah, I but just, as its primary, you know, I mean, what would you say it was 21 minutes, right? Yeah, it was for 21 if, minutes. If, if over half of every game, so let's say that, over half of every game, um, I wouldn't say that's the only thing. But I would say yes, that that, that they would coincide. I, I, that, yeah, like is that one ingredient? Yeah, of the yeah, recipe, yeah. And right? I, I would say yes. Um, it takes look. It 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 allows Ochai to focus only on the aspect of his offense that that is great and that is scoring. Now, look, he's not a bad passer, and it's not like he just hands the ball to the defense. But if you take away his need to ball to for ball handling, and and let him focus almost entirely on scoring. You know, maybe who knows? Maybe does this open things up for um, uh, for Christian Brown to not have to create? You know, Ochai Abaji not having to create. If you have those two guys not having to create their own offense, and you have two guys out there that can help them, that will make them better. Um, and so, yeah, I think an ideal lineup for twenty five ish, twenty to twenty five minutes of the game would be uh, two, you know, two basically two point guards out there. And man, if you can get one to to score, what Dewan have in like thirteen points yeah. in that game? If you can just get one of them, if you can get those two point guards to combine for twenty, and, that's exactly what they combined for. I mean that you know between and, and you know between 
16 and 20, if you can get your two two lead guards, and then Ochai plays a two style, but essentially he's your three, and then you've got you know Brown and and um, and Wilson and and Dave obviously Dave down low, but yeah, I, I think a lot of you know I think this team's offense especially when you look at how a lot of the other players score with the exception of Ochai Baji, when he, you've got one player who is really you can rely on to create his own offense, I think it will be great would be great for the rest of the team to have two guard two passing guards to help create offense and facilitate offense for them. When you asked about the the Remy Martin Dewan Harris thing, like I, I don't have the specific turnover numbers when they're on the floor, but when you look at on off numbers and Dewan on his own, Remy on his own, or Dewan and Remy together, their best numbers in those lineups come when they're together, not when it's one versus the other. So that, again, would be the two lead guards. And and maybe, like, if if we were saying KU's best games of the season so far, I, I don't know. It, it's hard to pick the first one because there's so many moving parts and, and not everything is real. Like, think of the Quentin Grimes game in the Champions Classic. Self himself has, has admitted that you don't really get to see the real version. He said he likes the Champions Classic, but he's also admitted you don't really see the real version of either team right. that early in the season. But as far as most impressive performances, like, that would have to be in the conversation because Michigan State, like, they're a top 15 team. And you dismantled that. That was never really a game, comfortable right? Comfortable win. It was never in doubt. And that was a game where you mostly played two league guards, right? Yeah. Like Remy Martin at 15. You were playing a lot of DeWan Harris. And, and obviously, I'm, you didn't have to worry about, well, how many minutes are we going to give Jalen Wilson? And that made it easier. I'm trying to think. I Looking back on the, the national title team, I can't ever remember them. And look, maybe someday somebody will go back and look at their game logs and make me look like a complete idiot. But I really don't remember a lot of times when Sharon Collins and Russell Robinson were on the floor together for long periods of time. But I think one advantage that team had was Mario Chalmers could basically act as a lead guard. Um, Elijah Johnson and Tyshawn Taylor, who are, whoever got it, brought it. Um, Devontae late in the season with Malik, also Sfee, Um, Although Devontae spent a lot of the time as the only lead and guard. Devontae and Frank. Devontae and Frank. Um, now, I think one thing that this team, you know, the most ideal situation is if you could have two lead guards, one of which is a super reliable scorer. But short of that, I think having a couple lead guards who can combine to get you 16 to 20 points a game, that's going to help Ochai because he'll be able to still, he'll still be able to create his own offense, but then he'll have a facilitator around him to help him from that so he won't have to every possession. I mean, how many times have we spent time talking about the what the rest of the full floor, what the rest of the four players look like, uh, and how much they just kind of stand around and let Ochai do his thing? I think that completely changes with two guards on two lead guards on. I the floor. agree. They don't have to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. I. It's so weird because this is such a tug of war too. Of you know, if you, if you're saying get your best lineup on the floor, or get your best like five players on the floor, um, it's what they're going with. It's Dewan Harris. Christian Bradley, if you want to argue Remy over Dewan in a certain matchup, sure. But either way, it's one point guard, Christian, Ochai, Jalen, and Dave. Like, those mm-hmm. are your five best players. And that goes counter to this because if you're playing two lead guards next to each other, Jalen probably sits. Either Jalen or if Christian's off, or you'd have to come to the realization of, hey, we're just going to play Jalen at a small ball five. But again, like, that does not seem something that Bill Self is interested in doing at all right now especially considering that, hey, this team has defensive issues, and if you take 
Dave off the floor for Jalen, your interior defense is only going to get worse. So, yeah, it, it would either be Jalen or Christian at that point. And how are you going to say, hey, we're going to take our second best player off the floor in Christian Brown? And, and again, like when we're saying you play two lead guards together, we didn't say it's for all 40 minutes. You don't have to do that every every single minute. Um, we said, you know, 15, 20, 25 minutes. Yeah. But even that is going to be hard because if if Christian's only on the bench for five minutes, if Jalen's only on the bench for five minutes, if Ochai's only on the bench for five minutes, then you'd have to be playing two guard lineups in all 15 of those minutes they're on the bench, but that is assuming that all of those 15 minutes don't stack together and overlap at all. So it's, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's it's going to be kind of a, a tough situation for this team to figure out how they can make that work. And I don't totally know if they'll ever get to that point. And that's what I'm saying with, with this tug of war, you almost have to sacrifice playing time for some of your best players to maybe get into your best fit, to maybe get into your best lineup. I wanted to go back and see. I pulled up the Kansas-Michigan uh, State box score from um, that game early on. And David McCormick, because I'm trying to look at other guys' offense, um, Christian Brown only scored six. David McCormick scored ten, but he also he shot 11 times, so he had obviously an off night. And Michigan State had some good, although, but Zach Clement scored seven. So if you look at the combination of your bigs that night, you got four from Lightfoot, seven for Clements, that's 11, and you got 10 from McCormick, that's 21 from your bigs, and that's a, that you just brought that up. Again, early in the season, but that's an example of a game where you spend a lot of time with two lead guards. Yeah. And, I, you know, it, it's, um, I don't know, at what point is, is it, you know, sample size, et cetera, et cetera, but... Golly, they looked good, man. I guess that's what I I wonder if the the two guard, the two lead guard lineup is gonna be like the meat in the sandwich, where the bread is the starting lineup and the closing lineup, right? It's the outside stuff, the the start and the end, whereas the meat and the the cheese and the mm-hmm. sauce or whatever you're putting in the middle of your sandwich is the middle of the game. Yeah, it could depend on it could because also- I, I don't think it's ever gonna be uh, going back to the it's your five best players on the floor. Those guys are going to be the starters, and those guys are probably going to finish the game. Yeah. Depending on, especially, it would depend on the situation, what the closing situation looks like. I mean, if if you need more, um, you know, but most likely you're going to want, for the purpose of defense and offense, although the offense really is smooth with two lead guards, but for the, especially for the purpose of defense, in a lot of close game late situations, you're probably going to want, um, Christian and Jalen on the floor together. And and the, it, I think we're down to those two. I, I have a hard time see, seeing Jalen spending any significant amount of time at the five, which would mean that if you have two lead guards, the what what's being sacrificed on the floor is either Christian Brown or, or, um, or Jalen Wilson. Yeah, and I don't think it'll be either of them, at least in terms of the starting lineup or the closing lineup. Yeah, yeah, but I'm just mean, yeah, I yeah. agree. So that means that, you know, how much of that can you get during the middle? Obviously, it is a little matchup dependent. We talked a little about this yesterday with Jesse. Like, you know, if you're playing Texas Tech, you're going to play less if no two lead guards together. But in a game against Kentucky where you have those two lead guards the other end or a game against Kansas State where they do do have those two lead guards, I think the two lead guard lineup probably is one of KU's better lineups. And maybe now that Joe Yesfu had a game like that, if he can keep playing like that, 
Maybe that's a lineup that's going to get unlocked a little bit more and give KU a little bit more uh, options and, and versatility for what they can do on their end of the floor. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. We'll be joined by Brandon Schneider, the head coach of the KU women's basketball team, in about 20 minutes. Michael Swain of Fog.net joins us at 420. This is RCST. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. About a quarter till four, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN and KLWN.com. With Adam Dravetta, I am Derek Johnson on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, joined by a special guest now, the head coach of the KU women's basketball team, Brandon Schneider, joins the show. Coach, how are you doing today? Doing great, guys. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. So, obviously, this year has been a really strong season for you guys so far. Uh, What would you say has been your team's biggest strength to this point in the year? You know, I think um, we're, we're finishing plays a lot better. Um, you know, we lead the Big 12 in field goal percentage. Um, you know, we made some additions to our front line that that I think have really impacted, um, you know, our defensive uh, scheme and, and, and some of the things we're doing there. So, um, you know, just had some, some really positive contributions from a lot of people to this point in the season. We always hear the the cliche guard play wins it for you in March and in the NCAA tournament. And when I look at your guys' team, it seems like you have a good amount of really good guard play, especially with kind of that, I guess, three-headed monster with Holly Kierskeeter, Zakiya Franklin, and uh, Anaya Thomas. Is that is that accurate, how you feel about your team's guards this year? Well, I think that's where we have the most experience, uh, the, the, the three – Young women you mentioned have played a lot of minutes in a Jayhawk uniform and, and have been part of a lot of Big 12 battles, and, and they have a great deal of experience. I think, um, you know, with the additions we've made on the front line, it's just made us a much more of a complete team. As you're building up the program and, and working to a season like this where I, I don't know if the goal is to make the NCAA tournament, but clearly uh, that would be a really cool achievement to have. It was there a moment in whether it was just recruiting this team together or finding out who was going to be on the roster or whether it was in the offseason getting ready or practice or, or some game early in the year. When was that moment for you when you felt like this team could be special? Well, I'd I, I give you two instances. I think uh, even when we got together in August, um, you know, we had a much different vibe uh, about us in terms of uh, – you know, the belief that, uh, that we could go to the NCAA tournament. And that is without question, our ultimate goal. Uh, but I think playing Tennessee uh, over Thanksgiving, um, and, and, you know, really being in the game with them, um, you know, they, they were, they ended up, uh, I think their best ranking so far has maybe been fourth in the country this year, but I think being very competitive in that game, um, also gave us a, a great deal of belief that, that we could have a, a much better big 12 season. Coach, I'm kind of curious on the topic. We've done some research about what what past Jayhawk teams have done that that made the uh, NCAA tournament. Do you have an idea of, because we were kind of talking in the last segment, maybe 10 and 8 puts you in a position where 
not only are you watching the the selection show, you're, you're probably sleeping pretty well the night before, feeling good about your chances. Do you have the last two Jayhawk teams to make the the, the tournament have gone eight and ten in conference play? Do you have an idea of what you're going to have to do to to get in, or is that even on your mind right now? Um, you know, I don't think about it a lot, but but I would agree with you a thousand percent that I think ten and eight, um, you're you're more worried about what seed you're going to be. Um, and you're feeling pretty good during the selection show. I think nine and nine, you could be sweating a little bit. Um, so uh, I think uh, I think ten plus is a pretty good mark uh, to feel good about it. But uh, I think it's important for us to continue the approach of, and I know it's a cliche, but just take them one game at a time and uh, understand that if if we continue to to have the maturity and the humility to to prepare for everyone. Um, the same way, then, then we really position ourselves uh, with a chance to play well. What's been the biggest difference for some of those players that you mentioned that are so experienced coming back? Like, what have you noticed in them that's been different this season, maybe than in years past? Well, I think first off, uh, the, you know, Tyana Jackson impacts our team a great deal uh, on both sides of the ball because those guards know that they've got a rim protector. Uh, and a shot blocker behind them. And, and that helps defensively tremendously. And then on the flip side, um, our, our perimeter players are much more willing uh, to play through uh, Ioana Hatsilionti and, and Tiana Jackson in the post because they trust their ability to make plays and, and convert baskets in there. Um, so uh, it's just it, that's an element that they haven't had um, you know, in their time here. We're talking with Brandon Schneider, the head coach of the KU women's basketball team, uh, back at it this Sunday, taking on TCU. Uh, going back to last night's game, though, you had to take on Oklahoma State, and uh, it was was that more difficult having to face off a team for a second straight time where you win the time before, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, maybe they're they're more apt to certain tendencies or, or anything like that. How difficult is that playing a team for a second time in, in just a few days? You know, it was interesting. Um, I thought we had a great shoot around and, and um, film session, and, and I, I really anticipated us playing really well. And then we come out and we're really flat uh, in, the, in the first half. And um, so I don't, I don't really know the, the, the cause of that. But, uh, you know, Oklahoma State um, got off to a terrific start and, and made a bunch of shots. And, um, you know, we definitely needed the intermission to regroup and, and make some adjustments. And how did you think your team uh, performed in, in accomplishing all those adjustments and, and coming back to get the win against uh, Oklahoma State? Well, you know, I thought uh, Holly Kersky, we only had two players make baskets in the first half, and that's, that's really not who we are. Um, Tyana Jackson kept us in the game, and um, I thought Holly Kerskeeter had an outstanding second half. Um, Zakiah Franklin did a much better job running our team. Um, and then Ioana, I thought we, we were able to play through her and, and get a lot of pro- productivity uh, in the paint. TCU, as I mentioned, is the opponent upcoming on Sunday, 2 o'clock. You can hear it right here. Pre-game starts at 145 on KLWN. Uh, you won the first meeting with the Horned Frogs, 78-72 in Fort Worth. Uh, what do you translate over from that game that you did well and, and that you're looking to repeat this go-around? You know, we, uh, I thought we played really well in transition. Um, 
uh, offensively got some easy baskets. Um, our, our defensive plan, we did a, we did a nice job of keeping them off the free throw line. Uh, they've got one of the premier guards in the country and Lauren Hurd, and she does such a great job of just kind of living in the paint and, and, um, which translates into her to being at the free throw line a lot. And we were able to take that part of, of, of the game away. Um, it'd be a, a really big uh, part of the plan as, as well Sunday. And obviously hoping for a good attendance and everything. Uh, when you guys won that road game a couple weeks ago, or whenever that was at Texas, and then you come back home against Baylor, again, that you almost upended the Bears as well. And there was a line outside, and, and there was all the hype building. How cool was that with kind of the uh, fan interaction that you guys have been getting over over the latter portion of this season? Although I'm sure last night was was tough with, with the snowstorm and everything. Yeah, last night was tough, but we still had uh... – you know, people in there that were really trying to make a difference. Um, you know, you referenced the Baylor game. I think without question, probably the best student attendance and participation we've had in a long time here. I know uh, Sunday's a really big game for us. Um, you know, to my knowledge, I don't believe there's NFL games on. Uh, and, and, and our men don't play until Monday night. So, um, you know, I hope that the community and, and the campus community would come out and uh, you know, support our young women. Um, it's a big, big uh, home game for us that uh, is going to play play a lot into you know the rest of our season. Do you ever look at uh, just on the topic of of successful um, what they would call non revenue sports here at KU? Do you ever look at at the success of the volleyball team and 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 see you know all right, this is a, a fan base that. If, if, if you play well, clearly is willing to come out and support you. Do you ever look to them as, as an example? Do your players ever see what, you know, the, the, the fan support that they get when they're playing well? And is that somewhat inspirational? You know, I think, uh, I think they're a terrific example. Um, you know, we talk with our team all the time about, you know, that if they want more support, number one, you got to win. I think our volleyball team is a great example of that, but but uh, I also think that you, you have to be the kind of person that's easy to support, uh, which means you're doing the right things, you know, out in the community, um, you know, which our volleyball team does. Uh, I, I think, um, you know, it's other people's job to sell tickets and promote and market and do those things. But, you know, as a, as a student athlete, um, winning's really important. Uh, and, and your fan base will come out and support you. But at the same time, you know, you got to make sure that you're you're doing the right things off the floor. All right, I've I've asked you some of uh, you know different realizations throughout the season and stuff. Do you have a favorite moment so far through the season? Uh, you know, I think our players would probably say the win at Texas. Um, you know, at the time, I think they were 13 in the country, and uh, we were coming out of a, a COVID pause. Uh, you know, where we hadn't played in 17 days, and in the Big 12. Uh, set us up to, to play three games in five days. So um, I think, uh, you know, that win uh, obviously was, was something that uh, I think, you know, created uh, additional confidence and belief that, um, that we were capable of playing with anybody in the Big 12. What about a favorite off-the-court moment, whether it's a, you know, bus ride somewhere or dinner, just an interaction off the court? Do you have a favorite off-the-court moment so far for this with, season? Hey, without question, without question, we had a team dinner in Vegas at Carmine's and Caesar's Palace, uh, which was uh, 
elite. Uh, the, the players are still talking about it. It was it was uh, one of those exceptional meals that uh, very very few times do you get to experience. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. But before we let you go, we do this uh, little segment at the end. Like producer and co-host, one last thing with Adam Dravetta. All right, Coach, one last thing. Wayland Baptist University has five campuses not in the continental United States. Can you name three of those locations? Three of the five not in the continental U.S. Yes. Uh, um, Hawaii? Uh, yeah, that's, uh, there's one in Hawaii. Okay. Um, Puerto Rico? Uh, nope. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to get it, guys. <laughs> we'll go. All right. So you got Hawaii. They've got one in Anchorage, Alaska, one in Fairbanks, Alaska. They've got one in American Samoa, and they've got a campus over in Kenya as well. There we and go. There's a, pretty, there's a pretty famous Jayhawk whose dad attended Wayland Baptist University. Really? He hit a really big shot, Mr. Mario Chalmers. Ronnie the went there? No. Yes. Yeah, wow, how about that? That's a pretty good there alumni go. base, Brandon Schneider and go. Ronnie Chalmers, right? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> well, Coach, thank you so much for the time. And uh, if you ever need help with, with just sending someone out there to – I know you have a lot of kids from, like, Greece and Sweden. I, I, I will volunteer myself to go, you know, recruit for you or something out there in Europe. All right, let's do it. <laughs> All right, thanks. Uh, that is Brandon Schneider, the head coach of the KU women's basketball team. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. Michael Swain joins us in about 20 minutes. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I am Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Joined now by Michael Swain of 24-7 Sports, Fog.net. Lance Leipold spoke with the media yesterday, Michael, as they were addressing all the uh, official moves being made with the transfer portal class coming in and kind of capping off uh, all the signings with with high schools and preferred walk-ons and everything. Um, Was there one thing that stood out the most about what Lance Leipold had to say yesterday for you? Yeah, I think for me, I'm big on the roster construction because I think that indicates kind of the direction our program is headed. And he brought up two positions and different scenarios where he talked about the wide receivers as being a group that is over scholarship right now. And I thought that's really interesting because you look at what happened with Emmett Jones under Les Miles where they took a ton of wide receivers. It was four. Um, I believe it was a class where they even had five wide receivers um, come in. And so you look what happens there where now you've got Kwame Lasseter leaving and you're thinking to yourself, oh, maybe they go after a, a wide receiver in the transfer portal. Some of that can come in, kind of be a, a number one right off the bat. But the way Lance Leipold phrased it was that they just have too many scholarship wide receivers right now, which is why they didn't take one before National Signing Day and why it, it now seems like they're probably not going to be taking one in the spring unless a scholarship wide receiver decides to move on after spring practice. I thought that was super fascinating. And then you look at the defensive line, and you've got, you know, five guys now that are going to come back and be super seniors. But then after that, you know, you're going down to basically some redshirt freshmen, redshirt sophomores. And there's not a ton of that mid-level guys are in their third season with the program. So I think those are two positions that, in terms of the construction of them, are in different spots. And I'll be really interested to see, going into kind of the spring recruiting period with some of the transfer portal stuff, how they're going to address specifically defensive line and try and get not necessarily super younger, 
but just get those guys that are in those middle years of their college careers to where you can kind of balance out those numbers when these guys leave after next season. Well, how important do you think Malcolm Lee is coming back to that defense as a uh, super senior? I think it's huge. I think him and Caleb Sampson coming back, and I mean, even Sam Burt. I mean, you got three guys right there that have played a good amount of snaps on the defensive line in their career, and then you add someone like Lonnie Phelps to the mix there, and you've got kind of really four decent, I think, you know, defensive linemen right there. And then, of course, there are other guys that decided to come back. But I think with Malcolm Lee specifically, I think that's big. I think the second most sacks on the team last year, second most pressures behind Kyron Johnson. Um, you're really hoping that he can take another step forward in his KU career and kind of be that guy that can maybe hold down, you know, whether it be one of those those inside tackle spots or one of those defensive end spots opposite Lonnie Phelps. Um, I think that's really big because I think you look at the pass rush last year outside of Kyron Johnson, they didn't have a bunch consistently. And now you're kind of hoping that, you know, Malcolm Lee can take a step forward in his career and then hopefully Lonnie Phelps can come in and kind of hit the ground running and you can really mitigate the loss of Kyron Johnson, even someone like Stephen Parker too, who you know didn't play a ton, but I think still was tabbed to kind of step into a bigger role this year. So how critical are, if we just look at the super senior class coming back mm-hmm. as a whole outside of um, the couple transfers that went away and then Colin Grunard being announced that he won't return, obviously Earl Bostick to me kind of headlines uh, mm-hmm. What could be the returning class? Like, how critical are all these players, and and how much are you expecting a lot of the, these guys to impact the team? Yeah, I think you, you nailed it right there. Earl Bostic is huge for him to come back. I do still think KU is going to go after an offensive tackle on the transfer portal this spring. Um, not necessarily for Bostic, but for Cavaldu on the other side, and maybe you can have someone where you know. And the thing about Bryce is he's got four years to play still because he's got that super senior season. So maybe you get someone that can come in and start for two seasons, so that you get a kind of a redshirt junior, redshirt senior year out of Cavaldu, in addition to you know having someone that can come in and start immediately. But I think that Earl Bostic is really big. Um, I thought he was really, really good at left tackle. Obviously, wasn't on the beat, but still watching you know as a observer. I thought he was really solid last season. And getting him back is huge at that left tackle spot. So I think that's really a big one. I think outside of that, you're looking at those other guys being a lot more depth pieces, right? Hayden Hatcher, um, McGee, some of these other guys being more depth, where you look at last year at times, right, and it seemed like KU top to bottom lacked some depth at some positions. And I think that this just adds more depth, allows you to rotate, and, of course, football over the course of a season is a war of attrition with injuries. So I think you're giving yourself some insulation um, to some of those injuries and guys getting banged up, which is just going to happen over the course of the season. We're talking with Michael Swain here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Well, now that we have had really the class and, I guess, to the full extent be announced and we have a read on, on all those super seniors returning, what is your early view on, on what could be the biggest strength of the roster and then what do you think will be the biggest weakness on the roster right now? Yeah, I think when I look at the biggest strength, it's hard not to look at the running back room. Um, that room with three former four-star recruits, they're going to run a lot of two running back sets. It sounds like based on what Lance Leipold said yesterday, um, they're going to be able to rotate between, you know, obviously Devin Neal's the headliner of the group, but Kai Thomas, Sevion Morrison. I mean, those are three incredibly talented running backs. So that's definitely going to be the strength of the team. Um, running the ball, I think, is going to be something that is going to do a lot of. Uh, in terms of weaknesses, I do still look at linebacker play. I, I think that Gavin Potter, you look at Rich Miller, those are two good players, but are those guys you want to be relying on down in and down out? Um, not necessarily sold there. Obviously, you bring in Eric Gilliard from UCF, but that's someone that really good tackling, really good against the run, but in pass coverage, uh, you look at some of those kind of PFF grades, right, and 
that really was kind of his glaring weakness. And so in a Big 12 that still does have some passing offenses, even though the likes of K-State, Iowa State, you know, Baylor, they run the heck out of the ball right now. But um, that does worry me a little bit. So I think for me, like linebacker is definitely the position, if I could pick, that I think that they would probably like to maybe improve a little bit. But that's another one where maybe you're running out of maybe some scholarship numbers, too, of you know what type of year are you getting and where are they in their development. So I think that's probably the biggest strength, biggest weakness of the team heading into the into the spring at least yeah Craig Young is is kind of the guy I'm most mm. interested in because I I don't know if we totally know what his role is going to be he could play a little safety he could play a little linebacker he could play sub linebacker he's he's almost like the inverse of Eric Gilliard in in the extent of you know he had good coverage grades in in pro football focus mm. like he's he's kind of the swing guy to me that if he can have a really good season and fit nicely for KU like that would be a huge help for this team but yeah I think you're right if if you you know, if you were asking uh, for a returning player at any position to kind of have like a breakout year, I think it'd have to be the linebacker. Because even if D- Craig Young does step up there, you're you're going to be looking for depth. Yeah, well, I love you bring up Craig Young because I actually have a little bit of insight I can share here. It sounds like he's going to play that Nate Betts role, kind of that okay. what used to be called the Hawk position under DJ Elliott, but kind of that hybrid safety linebacker role. Do you see a lot of these three three five? you know, uh, four, you know, nickel positions. It all depends on the scheme and all that. But basically, he's going to be someone that is going to be asked to take care of some of the run responsibilities, obviously. But we'll also have some of those coverage responsibilities as well, which is a really good blend for him. Like you mentioned, good coverage grades. And athletically, I'd argue that Kyron Johnson was the most athletic player on last year's team. I think right now it looks like Craig Young is going to be the most athletic guy on the team next year. And to have someone like that in the heart of your defense, right, you look at the middle of the field and how important that is to shut that down at the college level. And if you're able to do that with someone like him, I think that's a big deal. And so I probably should have brought him up under the linebacker, but he's kind of that safety linebacker hybrid. Um, it sounds like they're going to work on some in terms of just schematic stuff with him during spring, but there's expectation that you know he could be someone that really does contribute this fall. I know you mentioned last time you were on with us that it's probably uh, pretty set in stone. I think that probably clear indication of with Lance Leipold meeting with the media that um, at this point, not really expecting many more roster additions unless there's other, I guess, preferred walk-ons or, or something. Um, as far as the transfer portal thing goes, though, I- I'm assuming there will be more transfer portal guys. That'll just be, uh, what, probably at the end of spring in, in summer, something like that for the kind of one-in, one-out kind of situation. A hundred percent. So um, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but there are a few spots left that they can fill. And basically how it's going to work in terms of the calendar, right now all the guys now are locked into classes. Um, they have to be there for the rest of the semester. The next time someone can arrive on campus as a newcomer is the summer. So basically KU has between now and basically June um, to go and find those players. And I think there's a May 1st cutoff for the transfer portal as well. So basically once spring practice ends for all these programs, there's going to be, I believe, a rush to the transfer portal. And once that happens, there's going to be a wealth of talent or, you know, bodies of players that you want in there to go after. And I think you're looking at offensive tackle, um, maybe another defensive lineman, maybe a linebacker. Um, I think those are probably the positions they're going to go after the hardest. And it's all going to depend on fit. I think that's a big thing that you've seen with Leipold so far is they're not just taking guys to take guys. They're really taking a very methodical approach here where you look at Lonnie Phelps, you got multiple years of him, and all these guys have multiple years left, and they fit into kind of that roster construction if you're mapping out the scholarship chart. 
So they have been really methodical with this. I do expect probably some more additions in the spring. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if there's even some outgoing attrition after the spring when guys get a feel for, hey, where am I on the depth chart? Am I looking to play this fall? You know, is it, should I look elsewhere? So I think in and out there will be more attrition, but it's likely going to come after spring practice. With the PWOs, the preferred walk-ons, uh, what is KU getting in the recent uh, guys that they've picked up there? Yeah, I think so far it's been a really solid class. You know, Andon Carpenter out of uh, Derby. Anytime you can get someone out of that program, I think it's positive because that program does turn out a lot of talent. So uh, he's someone that has some decent size. I think he's like 6'2", 250, moves pretty well. Um, and again, these are preferred walk-ons. They're a reason that they're not getting scholarship offers to some Power 5 schools, but they do offer things. And then you look at Kenrick, a defensive back out of Aletha. Um, really good length, someone that is going to start out playing cornerback at KU, and then kind of depending on how things go, um, I think he could even transition to safety. I think even you know if he puts on a, a lot of weight, maybe he can even kind of play that, that Craig Young role. And then you look at uh, the quarterback they got, Koontz, out of uh, Wichita. That's a more of a dual-threat guy, had a really prolific senior season. He's one of those guys that kind of his dream has always been to play at KU. So the opportunity to come in and be a uh, preferred walk-on at KU is something he jumped at the opportunity to do. So I think, you know, you look at overall, I think it's a solid preferred walk-on class for what Lance Leipold has done kind of here in his, his first year. And I think that's something that you look at maybe, you know, past preferred walk-on classes where these guys that can actually play their way into scholarships. Um, maybe not the case then. It's always tough to do that nowadays, especially with kind of the scholarship crunch that's going on across the country. But I think these are some really quality guys that are bringing in. Yeah, and whenever I think of like local recruiting, it seems like this class is or this staff is doing a, a fantastic job in, in getting mm-hmm. those guys that could be nice pillars for depth or, or future, I guess, like Jared Casey, so to speak. Um, but I, I'd be remiss not to at least mention, you know, uh, we have seen local kids. And when I say local, I'm not just saying Kansas. I'm saying here in Lawrence, guys go over to Kansas State, for instance. I, I think of Jack Stanin, uh, Echo Boy Doe from Lawrence High. And Jet Deneen ends up picking Kansas State. Is there any cause of concern there of, of recruiting in the local backyard, or do you think that was just a, hey, I want to go play with my brother type of thing? I think it's the latter point. I think you, it sounds like Jake Schoonover, um, who is now kind of transitioning to a director of high school relations, has a really good relationship with a lot of these local schools and local coaches. Um, I think that's very much a situation of going to play with your brother at Kansas State. Um, obviously, you know, Jay's moving on uh, from Kansas, and then you've obviously got um, Joe down at TCU right now. So I think opportunity to be around his brother, that's big. Um, but I don't think this is a, a broader indication that, you know, KU's in trouble recruiting local. I think, if anything, you're seeing that this staff is putting in a lot of work to recruit, particularly Kansas City um, and even, you know, Lawrence with a guy like Calvin Clements. More wins. KU football in 2022. Or KU basketball in the NCAA tournament this season? Oh, wow. That's a really good question. I think I'm going to say KU basketball in the NCAA tournament. But I think KU football is going to be a lot more competitive this year, which for recruiting purposes and the overall trajectory of the program is what you can ask for. You know, I think that a lot of guys now getting a spring will be really important. Another developmental year for guys like Jalen Daniels, um, Devin Neal. I think that's going to be huge. Uh, I think they'll be more competitive, but I think you look top to top to bottom. I mean, it's not necessarily an easy schedule, right? You got an easy first game. You you play Duke at home, but outside of that, you got to go to Houston and then you play a full Big Twelve slate. So I think KU, you know, will probably have more wins in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I was trying to figure out what the over under would be for KU this season. Last year was one and a half. 
I'm guessing this year it'll be either two and a half or three, maybe Ooh. three and a half. I, I don't know. Do you think that's high, low? I think that's high. I think two and a half is probably the money spot. Um, I think you look at probably winning maybe two of those non-con games and then maybe one Big 12 game. I think that's probably where you're at, and that's what the gambling would be is you're, you're betting that KU's going to win a Big 12 game, which could happen. You know, obviously we saw it this past year, and maybe TCU isn't able to do it under Sunny Dykes. You know, maybe Iowa State, you know, sleeps on the road with kind of their new roster. But um, I do think you're looking at probably a, another two-win season, but again, a lot more competitive games throughout the year. Yeah, and so if it, if it were two and a half, then let's say they get – to you know uh, the the same mark in the NCAA tournament, then the two and a half would be: can you make the Sweet Six or can you make the Elite Eight, or do you lose in the Sweet Sixteen? And I, I think that's a tough proposition as well. I think that might actually mm-hmm. be a good uh, little value bet that we came up with there. All right, Michael. Before we let you go, as tradition, one last thing with Adam. All right, Michael. Yeah. Uh, Michael, one last thing. What was the most recent thing you built with Legos? <laughs> oh wow, we're going back years. It's probably something I built with Lego Star Wars. Uh, I used to love doing that as a kid. Um, I used to do kind of those stop motion videos. So it, no way. Like maybe when I was twelve. Sweet. Oh yeah, I spent way too much time doing those. Now, have you ever seen the stop motion videos of like the they'll recreate like the sports moment? Could you do that with KU moments this year? Uh, that sounds like a lot of time that I do not have, <laughs> but it sounds like a great idea. Maybe if there's like a, a big, you know, if there's like a Mario Chalmers shot, I think you should have to do it for that. We gotta, Ooh. we gotta get an answer though. We still, he still hasn't. He said something Star Wars. Do you have anything specific? Oh yeah. Oh, something specific? No, I don't. I that that's going back a long, long ways. You have a couple nephews, Adam. Did you build like Legos with them or something? No, no. Okay. No, I don't, I, I don't know what the answer for me would be. I uh, no, I I toss the football around with them, and that's about it. They're not huge into Legos. Mm. Well, then uh, your feet are being saved because you don't step on a, a random Lego that uh, is a grenade no. across uh, across the floor. Well, Michael, thank you so much for the time as always, man. Appreciate it. Definitely. Thanks for having me on, guys. I always enjoy it. All right. That's Michael Swain, 24-7 Sports, Fog.net, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Adam, what would you take? Would you take the over or under? Or I guess it wouldn't be an over-under, but would you take yeah, which the KU more? football wins or the NCAA tournament wins? So basically an Elite Eight. It's three wins. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd probably lean. Um, I'd probably lean KU basketball because I think that's more likely. But I, the the thing is, is he's right. I think it will be it will be very difficult. But eventually, like the next step, it's not just a matter of four wins or three wins for this KU football program. It's multiple conference wins. Mm-hmm. Like that's the next step, and. I honestly will say, man, if this team only wins, like if they come home three and nine and they're competitive elsewhere, um, I'll take it and I'll be I'll be excited. But if this team only wins one conference game in twenty twenty two, then we need to be having the conversation in twenty twenty three going, Okay, it's time to finish something other than dead last in the conference. I think I would take the KU football wins. Four, they grab four. You think yeah, KU because, well, lose in the Sweet Sixteen. I think that you I just have... think when you, when you look at the advantage, like KU is so good after a, in in the tournament after a week of prep. Yeah, I like if they get past the second round. That's tough. It's been an elite eight every year, but one. But I think that's the thing. Like to me, the floor should be for KU football this year: three wins. Doesn't mean it'll happen. Like they very well could only win two games. Yeah, this year, right. Um, 
But if they if we're saying four would be nice, three would be okay, then you get to three. Like, what is what is more likely in my eyes? Is it KU making a Final Four to get that fourth win? Or is it KU getting upset in the, in the second round of Sweet 16? I think it's the second round of Sweet 16. Yeah, I, I guess I'm more looking at it as what's more likely, KU making the Elite Eight or K, KU basketball making the Elite Eight or KU football winning three. And I think the Elite Eight's more. But I, I think that's I think you're dead on with the number. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting discussion. Maybe we'll have that question for a couple other people uh, throughout the week. All right, this is Rock Truck Sports Talk. We're going to take a time out here. When we come back, our NFL playoff fantasy draft continues. I've got a nice little lead. We're on to the Pro Bowl week. I'll have that next. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk on KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Truck Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Quarter till five, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN and KLWN.com. With Adam Rivetta, I am Derek Johnson. Pro Bowl right. this weekend. You okay, man? Yeah. Um, Pro Bowl is this weekend, and um, I don't know if you saw this. They're doing the spot, and I forget what it's called specifically, but basically they're not doing kickoffs. They're doing the the spot rule where the team who so one team picks the coin toss, and you know, let's say I call heads and and I get the the correct answer, um, which never do by the way. It's always tails, although that didn't work for the Bills. Um, and I would get the choice first of do I want the ball in offense or defense? So I'd have that as one option. Option two would be I get to place the ball. Mm. So what I, what I think most likely happens, because if I take if I say offense first, the other team gets to pick the ball, mm-hmm. and they're going to be like, okay, well, you're getting it at your own one-yard line, right? So I think what's going to happen is whoever wins the coin toss is going to be the team who picks where the ball is, and they're going to say you're on your own 20-yard line. Right, they and wouldn't say their own one. No, why would they do that? No, what what do you mean? Because then the other team will pick defense. So the winner gets to pick one of those two things. One right? of those two. The other team picks the other. Oh, so mm-hmm. after it's already come out. Okay. Yes. Okay. So they have to announce which one they're picking. Then they have oh, to pick okay. it. Right. So you can't you can't put the other team on the one yard line. No, no. If I if you were to say you're like if if they won the toss and said. Um, your own one yard line. The other team would say, "Okay, right, we want to go on you defense give it to first. De- yeah, okay, yeah, right. How about this? I've I've thought of of an idea. Mm-hmm. You have uh, a coin flip. Mm-hmm. You flip the coin. You call heads or tails like normal. And if you get it right, you get to live. Whoa. Yeah. All right, Harvey Dent. High stakes. Huh? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, that'll drive up the ratings. <laughs> Hey, I mean, NFL is the new age gladiators. Might as well start getting murder involved, right? Um, Bring in the Lions. <laughs> actual Lions. Yes. Not the Detroit Lions. Could you imagine if all the teams were like actually... I can't imagine was? that would... You, <laughs> NFC I've, North. I've, I've, I've thought about that for some time. Like, NFC North would kill it. I've thought for some time. Literally. Particularly in the NBA, mm-hmm. where you have like... If the NFC North, that would be the mascots being the real mascots would be the only time Green Bay doesn't dominate that division. What is a Packer? 
I believe it's a factory worker of some sort. Oh yeah, they're screwed. The Acme Packing Company. Yeah, they're screwed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Dead. Yeah, they're Lions, done. They're bears. done. I've thought for some some time uh, uh, the NBA version of this. How sweet would be um, a grizzly versus a raptor? Oh. Wouldn't that be that'd be nice? Yeah, that's interesting because the raptors like they're they're almost like wolves. That they're they're really they're pack hunters. Exactly. And if it's only one raptor, but they are the Toronto raptors. They're, that's yes, yeah, so you get. But then like, again, is it the grizzlies? They're the grizzlies. You get multiple bears. So you get five grizzlies versus five, <laughs> versus five raptors. raptors. The thing is, though, man, a raptor is still. If, if you do one on one, a raptor's still like six feet tall and can bounce so like faster. you wouldn't believe. Wait, are they playing basketball in this situation or playing like just? Oh, uh, it's a each good other? question. Um, I mean, the Raptors win in the basketball game. The what? Right? Raptors win in the basketball game. Bouncier, more athletic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bear is a better football player. But By if far. they're trying to just kill each other, it's tough. It is tough. I, the the grizzly has the advantage of it not being sixty five million years ago, you know, so it'd be alive now and such. Hmm. I'm trying to think like, okay, if if we did this based on like you're actually playing the game of football, you're not just trying to like kill each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who would be the best? Like what? What athlete? Is it the would birds? Be the, because they can fly. They can and just fly. They can fly boom, into get the right over everybody. End zone. That's a good thought. But they are. You know, they need talons. Like it would have to be something like the Eagles or the Falcons. Something with big enough talons Ravens. or beaks to hold on to the ball. What if you couldn't fly? What if they said you can't fly? So we then take the bird that out is of, useless. Well, then again, actually, a this bear. would almost be like rock paper scissors because if you have a team who is a bird. Like the Falcons or the Panthers, although I guess this is going to go back into wait, wait, the, wait, hold on. Did you murder. just say if they're like a, if they're a bird, like the, the Falcons Panthers. or the Panthers? I, I, I'm sorry, I'm looking at a list Panther of NFL ain't teams. a bird, sir. I know, right? I'm looking at NFL teams and it, like Falcons fan. Um, I was going to say you could be the Cowboys. Would be the counter to that because they could like lasso the Panther the bird or the bird. Yeah, that's an interesting in the air thought. if they can reach it. Hmm. Um. Yeah, or they could be a, a big cat, you know, something like... Um, Dude, Lions might go from, like, the worst franchise to the best. Yeah. Bears and Lions would be an epic battle. Jaguars? Oh, my gosh, they'd be so fast. Yeah, those are quick little guys. Um, oh, I mean, the New Orleans Saints, they have powers. Can perform miracles. Oh, yeah, that's right. A saint, a saint, in order to be canonized, you have to have been verified... Uh, performing a miracle, don't you say? Yeah, that's something to be said there. Mm. Um, oh, Chargers? You're, you're just a bolt of lightning? You ain't stopping them. The, the Texans would only just... The, the only thing a, real, a Texan is good for is just saying that they're from Texas. So they wouldn't do much. Yeah, see, this is a little bit of rock, paper, scissors, though, because I could say, like, the Jets. Who's going to stop a Jet, right? Raiders and Buccaneers are really do or die. Like, they, they'll fight mm -hmm. to the death, so they'll really... Give, That'll be a great matchup. They'll really great give matchup. other cats a, a, a run for yeah. their money. A big, Seahawks big cat the or Ravens. a bear or something. Seahawks-Ravens will be a great matchup of two birds that suck. Um, and then like you would have your rock, paper, scissors is Washington Commanders. The Commanders command the Jets. The Jets, um, I don't know, something there with the Chargers and Lightning. I don't know. There, there's a triangle there somewhere. Anyway, I don't know. That's a fun conversation. Maybe we'll have more of that later. Um, we do need to do this draft, though. Mm -hmm. So, so far... Uh, I have 316 points. You have 272. You had 119 last you week. You need to take off 100 points for yourself for calling a panther a bird. <laughs> I have 140 last week. Um, 
Do you want the first pick? Do you want the second pick? We're going to pick Pro Bowl players. Um, I'm losing, so I'll take the first pick. Okay. I'm going to say he balls out in his very first Pro Bowl and really puts on a show, and I'm going to say Justin Herbert. Okay. That ruins your streak of having Patrick Mahomes every week. I know. Okay, so big problem with this is you don't really know who's going to play, how much they're going to play. But it'll be kind of fun because it, you know, gives us an excuse to maybe watch the game. Um, oh, I'm not watching that game. We could be betting a million dollars on this. I'm not watching that football game. You would watch it for a million. I, I kind of want to go with Tyreek Hill. Oh, if I was Hill. getting paid a million, I would. If mm. I was betting a million on it, I still wouldn't. Do you think Tyreek Hill will just like run by everyone and nobody will care enough to it's, stop but, him? Yeah, there's because there's really no real tackling. This game's going to be go like the opposite way and he doesn't care to run to by everyone. Yeah, that's good. I don't know. Whatever, even when he it. running without caring, he still is amazingly fast. Yeah, I'll go Tyreek Hill and then with my second pick. Hmm. See, the running backs one is hard. How many how often are you going to run the ball? Are they going to try? Like that's impossible. I my goodness. Um, I don't know. Let's go with C.D. Lamb. I just have a feeling. Real quick, who do we decide replace Joe Mixon? We're Oh, no, Najee Harris. Najee Harris. We got it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, so I took Tyreek Hill, C.D. Lamb. You have back-to-back picks. All right, let me find and cross off C.D. So I'm going to take... Um, really bummed... Keenan Allen is out because I can't do my normal. Of course, it's the same team, isn't it? I'm an idiot. Um, I'm going to say maybe he gets a touchdown. I don't know. I, I don't think he'll play a whole lot because he's not a starter, but give me Travis Kelsey. I was going to say my normal strategy of keep a quarterback and receiver on the same team, and, and then it occurred to me they are going to be on they the same the team. Same it's team, the yeah. AFC now. It's not. Uh, I'm a genius. Um, so, all right, so I took Travis Kelsey. I'm going to take um, – I don't know. I am going to take – I'm going to take Dalvin Cook. Yeah, it feels like such a crapshoot. Kelsey and Dalvin know. Cook, yeah. Okay, I'll go with uh, another receiver. So I have Tyreek Hill and, and CeeDee Lamb. So this next one will be in my um, flex spot. Oh, yeah, I'll go with Justin Jefferson. He's really good. And I was, then, I was eyeing him instead. It, rather than uh, Dalvin Cook, I was thinking between him and Dalvin. And then I'm going to take Justin Tucker as my kicker. That's right. I went kicker that early. I know that you can't take another quarterback, so I can wait on that. Um, I know you can't take another tight end, so I can wait on that. And the running backs, I feel like, is a crapshoot. So I'm going Justin Tucker because I feel like he is noticeably better than the NFC kicker, which is Jake Elliott. You have back-to-back picks. Jake Elliott is an eagle, right? Yeah. He famous, is replacing Matt Gay. Famous member of the big cat kingdom, according mm. to Derek. <laughs> those eagles. No, um, those are... those are uh, Horses? Yeah. An eagle's yeah. a type of horse. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, we got to speed things up because we got a break coming up. Um, I'm going to go... I've got two picks, right? Yep. Okay, so I'm going to keep in uh, the skill position. I'm going to go with... Um, um, let's go Stefan Diggs. Your first receiver. Yep, and then uh, let's see some. Uh, uh, he's a starter, so I think you get some love, Jonathan Taylor. Okay, 
Jonathan Taylor. All right. Um, dude, the defense in this is such a coin flip. You have no idea who. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I don't care about the defense. I'm just going to take it now. I'm going to go with the AFC defense because the NFC defense, like here's the AFC quarterbacks, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. Here are the NFC's quarterbacks, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, Kirk Cousins. Blech. <laughs> Give me the AFC defense just for that reason alone. Tyron Matthew has been mad all week, so he might really be ready to ball out and get like 12 <laughs> interceptions. Yeah, exactly, right? Okay, uh, I need two running backs. I, I just have one pick here, though. Uh, I don't know, Nick Chubb. Sure, why not? All right. Um, so I've already got This I is need, the least enthusiastic draft ever. I know. I need incredible. a wide receiver, a flex, a kicker, and a defense. I, yeah. I know what my kicker, my defense, I know who they're gonna be. So uh my next wide receiver is going to be James Connor. He's a running back. My next uh my next <laughs> wide receiver is You can going, take James Connor as a flex though. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that. My next wide receiver <laughs> Is going to be. Uh, I wonder how they'll use Debo Samuel. I'm going to say Mike Evans. I don't know how they're going to use Debo. Yeah, I just I'm hesitant taking anybody who was in the championship games, even though I took Tyreek Hill first, just because you don't know. Like, are are they really going to want to play that much? I don't, I don't know. Okay, uh, I have two straight picks. I will get my other running back, which I guess it's either Alvin Kamara or Najee Harris. Alvin Kamara does so much in the receiving game, but. How much are they going to use that in the pro? I don't know. I'll go Alvin Kamara, whatever. And then uh, quarterback. You know, part of me, as much as I just crapped on Kirk Cousins, he's going to take this game so much more seriously than everyone else. <laughs> part of me is tempted to take him. I'm not going to. I will take. I feel like Patrick Holmes is going to mess around too much. How about this? You want to add an extra 25 points if one of us gets has drafted the MVP? Yeah, sure. But, and, and it's a negate. Like, if, like, a safety wins it, you don't get it for having their defense. Right. It has, it has to, be to be an individual, individual player. player. So it has cool to be an that. offensive player. So 25 extra points to whoever has the MVP, but nobody gets that if it's a defensive player who wins it. Okay, I'm cool with that. I'm going to go with Russell Wilson for my quarterback. I don't know. All right. Had I'm a bad season, maybe wants to prove something. NFC defense and uh, Jake Elliott. All right, you had no other option there. Correct. <laughs> you loved taking those. Okay, my tight end, I do have some options. I could go Mark Andrews, George Kittle, Kyle Pitts. I'll go with Kyle Pitts. He's a good receiving tight end. Maybe he'll get open. All right, that is our uh, very unenthusiastic NFL playoff fantasy draft with the Pro Bowl. That I'm Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Two hours down, one to go. Joe Yes, Food Talk on the other side. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk on KLWN. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. With Adam Dravetta, I am Derek Johnson. Joe Yesifu with the Joe Yesifu game on Tuesday night against Iowa State. And I I wonder the long-term viability of that game because we, we have seen players before have like a one-off game, whether it's a starter, whether it's a guy off the bench. and Brandon Green, exactly. Georgetown. It, it doesn't necessarily relate to, okay, now he's a starter. Now he's going to have a bigger role. Sometimes it just is a individual game. But with Remy Martin out, assumedly for the next week or two, you know, he could play his way to having a role at least in the near term, the question to me becomes, could he play his way even above Remy Martin? Because I think a dilemma could be developing and that maybe one of the two can only survive 
and thrive at once in the rotation. Like I, I don't think there's enough time and, and minutes to go around for both of these guys to have a sizable role once they're both back. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about three guys, two real well, three guys for two spots, but more realistically, two guys for one because I don't think it's ever something has gone wrong if Remy and and um, and Yesifu are playing together for any extended period of time. Um, that would mean something, you know, Dewan is hurt or in some big time foul trouble or something. Um, yeah, I, I, it's, I guess, yeah, anything's possible uh, as far as what's likely. Um, I don't know. Self, self gets so frustrated with Remy for not doing the little things. I mean, we, we've heard and seen stories. Uh, the story from Evan Riggs comes, comes to mind about self and Norm Roberts reaction to, uh, Remy Martin not doing some detail-oriented stuff well enough um, against Texas Tech, which led to part of the, you know, un- uncovering the mystery of why Remy didn't play much late in a tight game, even though he'd been such a productive player early on in that same game. And so it, maybe this, maybe Self is eyeing this as like, okay, maybe I have somebody to hold over Remy's head um, to say, hey, man, it's not just, it isn't, you know, it isn't, uh, it's, it's not a guarantee. It's not you or it's right? not you or, or nobody. Now there's somebody coming up behind you who will do what I ask and play how I want them to play. And the team looked pretty damn good with him on the court. Yeah. And, and, and so, yes, for that reason, I absolutely do. I, I still think though, Remy's at, at, at their respective peaks. I, I guess I think Remy's probably the better player, but I do think there's something to be said about, you know, if Bill Self, to try to get in the mind of Bill Self, would you know, what would he rather have? A guy who is, you know, 80% the talent of Remy who does everything he's asked? Um, or whether would he have somebody like Remy who's more talented but maybe sometimes, um, you know, goes away from, from the script and, and doesn't, you know, for whatever reason, doesn't always do the, the little things correct? If you would have said a week ago that, or even two weeks ago or whatever, that, hey, is there a world where Joe Yesifu usurps Remy Martin even in the rotation? Even with Remy kind of in the, I guess, Bill Self doghouse, like it it didn't feel like a real possibility. And again, this could just be a one-game thing. But if we're just like comparing these two guys, Joe does have an opportunity to, if he can play well over these next two weeks... Maybe he could get to that point because Joe provides more from a defensive side of things. Joe provides more from a ball pressure side of things. Joe Yesifu creates more steals. Um, And and maybe this just comes down to how healthy Remy looks because let's say Remy misses the next two weeks, but he comes back and he's still not fully healthy. Maybe that impacts things as well. Um, And and maybe also what impacts is how many shots is Joe Yesifu hitting. If he's the guy who scored 20 points in seven of the last nine games, for Drake last year and had 26 against that USC team in the NCAA tournament, then that's another thing that Remy doesn't have an advantage over Joe with. Um, but I think probably the one edge that Remy has over Joe Yesifu is is probably as a passer and kickstarting transition, which are, are are two very important things. But if if Joe is hitting shots and and he hasn't really gotten that going yet, even in the Iowa State game, he did hit two shots, but he's still just two of seven. If Joe Yesifu starts hitting shots. You're getting oh, yeah. the shot creation and the sh- the scoring. Joe is an athlete, just like Remy, in terms of being fast, being quick. Um, he probably has more vertical. He had one um, of the highlights of the tournament yeah. on a dunk last year. 
Joe's the better defender. Joe Yesfu gives you a better chance, like I said, for more steals. Um, and Remy Martin has had issues pleasing Bill Self. Yesifu has been called by Bill Self at points this season a people pleaser. And that sometimes he pleases people too much. Hmm. That's very opposite with Remy Martin, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, and and look, I all of this is is not to we're not sitting here by by people pleaser. And I know you know this, Derek. I, I just want to be clear to any listeners. We're not sitting out here saying Remy Martin is a jerk or anything like that. We're talking about pleaser in the sense of doing the little things that Bill Self is asking of him. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's kind of where and uh, you know and you know Derek. I know you knew that. I just wanted to to make it clear to any listeners. Remy, by all accounts, is a great teammate, a great kid. He just kind of has had trouble and been in the Bill Self doghouse because he's not doing those. De- you know, he's not uh, really getting into the details of what he's asked to do. Um, I'll say this, this could turn out to be a blessing in disguise. If there's something to be said about Remy's l- limitation so far this year has been, um, you know, due to injury and due to, um, unwillingness or inability or whatever to, to do the little things right. If this turns into, um, if this turns into Remy getting a rest longer than maybe he would have and getting that leg really, really right, and on top of that, it becomes um, he plays, he still has a significant role, but but not as many minutes. And and so, you know, he can you, you can get a lot of his ceiling without the, the long-term effects of him missing out on some of the, the little things. Um, this could out could it turn out to be a huge positive. Well, here's the the thing going against Remy. If if let's say he missed three weeks from right now, you'd be talking about him only having two weeks left of the regular season plus the postseason at that point. And if Joe Yesfu plays well enough that you feel comfortable with him not really playing over this course of time, then when you bring Remy Martin back and there's only that little of the season left, and Joe Yesfu is playing well. Are you really going to all of a sudden say, okay, Remy, now you're playing 25 minutes a night again? Yeah. Or are you going to say, no, you're going to have to earn your way back? And and How I almost wonder if, do that? again, if, if if this is just a one-off for Joe Yesifu, this isn't really a conversation. But if this is is the start of a real string of play from Joe Yesifu, even though I would still favor the fact that I think Remy Martin, when he does come back, will be ahead of Joe Yesifu in the rotation, it's not that unheard of that Joe Yesifu could I guess overcome um, his spot. All right, um, I'm going to ask you a couple more likelies. I'm going to ask you the the first more likely. What is more likely? Remy Martin being back by February, whatever game they play on February 12th, which I can't remember who it is, but it's a week from Saturday. Mm-hmm. Remy being back, like Oklahoma. Remy being back by February 12th. Or, or after. Well, the timeline we were given was one to two weeks, but that was a very uneven time. It wasn't like a, it's going to be one to two weeks. It was like, it could be a week, could be two, right? That's very, very loose. I would say after personally, like if I, but I I don't know for sure. I just, we're just speculating. Yeah. And and like I said, I, you know, if you look like online, it's just like generic, how long are, are you suffering from, from a bone bruise? One to two months, right? So theoretically, if he had it at the beginning of January, that could be, if it was on the worst end, 
a thing that goes through the end of February. Yeah. Um, all right, more likely this is a real thing from Yesifu or it is a one-off. That's your second more likely. Mm. See, this is tough because I, I think as we talked about earlier in the show, the two-guard lineup is beneficial to KU to play at least during stretches of the game. And from that standpoint, I think it is real. I also think, like I said, Joe Yesifu, I think if he continues to shoot the basketball, we've shown, seen in the, in the bigger sample size that he can be a much better shooter than he has been at Kansas. So I think that can get even better. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he'll have that much of an impact as soon as like Saturday against Baylor. So I, I think it's not real in terms of him being, I guess if you wanted to say he was the MVP of that game, like I don't think that's going to continue on. But do I think he could have a real role and a real impact on this team? Yes, I do think that's real. And I think you could even expand. I mean, I we keep forgetting, or maybe not we're forgetting, but we're certainly not mentioning. Um, his role could be extremely important, um, but also changed with Ochai returning. Mm -hmm. Like, you, you kind of like, okay, you know, I, I think things change. He may even take fewer shots with Ochai back. He took seven um, but I mean, what if, but what if that turns out and instead of him going two for seven, Ochai returns, he's only taking four, but he's three of four. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I think that is the other piece of what goes into this dilemma with uh, Joe Yesifu, how much he's going to play, what's his role in, and specifically when Remy Martin comes back as well, but there's just not a lot of minutes to go around. So let's, let's take the center position out of discussion. Not that Joe Yesifu or Remy Martin would play the four position or the three either, but Guys that you have who play the three and the four, like Christian Brown and Jalen Wilson, could, um, I guess, take away other guard minutes. Like, you could play Ochai at the three, or you could play him at the two with Christian at the three, to where it it basically stacks up and creates a uh, domino that does affect how many minutes you have at the one position. So, uh, you have 160 minutes to give out over the course of a night between the one through the four position. So, let's start uh, down at the four position. Jalen Wilson's giving you 32 minutes. At the four. Okay. And uh, right now, uh, this is just, if I'm saying, he, he gives you 32 minutes a game. Um, he's only averaging 26 a game, but if you look at his conference season, he's averaging 33 minutes a game in conference play, right? So I, th that's that's a conservative estimate. Let's say going forward, he gives you 32 minutes at the Are four. we saying those are all at the four, though? No, no. I'm just saying Jalen is playing 33 minutes a game in conference play, but... Do you remember a lineup out there where he was playing the three? I mean, it doesn't matter. It's it. It's a good point. You know, I'm just trying to think: is he ever, is he ever on the floor when Christian Brown is not? Is my point? Yeah, I I don't know. I, it, but here's here's what I'm gonna say: like it, it doesn't really matter whether we give him some minutes at the three or the four because him yeah. and Christian are are eating off of of, of kind of that same the play same, here. Yeah. So this is just what I did. I said uh, 32 of the 40 minutes at the four position to Jalen, the other eight to Christian Brown. So that position's done. Okay. okay? So Christian is playing 37 minutes a game in conference play. Let's round down to 36. It's 36.8. If he's giving you eight minutes at the four, which is what we had him at, that means to get him up to 36, he's got to play 28 at the three. Yep. So now he's at 36, check mark. Jalen's at 32, check mark. That also means you have 12 minutes of play at the three position. Let's give um, those to Ochai. So now the 40 minutes at the three, the 40 minutes at the four are accounted for, right? Yep. So now we go to the two position. As we said, Ochai, we're giving him 12 at the three. He's averaging 36 minutes per game in Big 12 play. So 24 at the two. Yep. So that means you have 16 minutes left over at the two, and then you have the 40 minutes at the one. 
So basically, you have 56 minutes. For three guys. That you can be divvied out between Dewan Harris, Remy Martin, and Joe Yesifu. And, the way- and if you wanted to include, because I do think it is salient into this conversation, Jalen Coleman-Lance. Because yeah. there was a direct, Jalen was the guy that got pulled for Joe Yesifu in the yep. second half, and then Joe Yesifu never came back out. He, you mean Yesifu or Jalen Yesifu never came back out after he came oh, in. Oh, you mean Jaylen came Coleman-Lance. out of, yeah. I, I, okay, I thought you said never, never came back mm-hmm. in. Okay, so... um. Yeah, uh, it, and then you also so you've got what we say fifty six minutes for yeah, those three uh, guys. DeJuan, but by the, the thing way. is, is we also want. I mean, how many of those minutes are going to be spent with two of those same guys? Like I, I like if 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 Ochai's truly only playing three min or twelve minutes at the three, that means that you're getting twelve minutes of those guy of 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 two lead guards basically. Well, it'd be 16 because you'd have 24 of Ochai at the two. So the other 16 minutes, you could have the two league guards unless uh, okay. Jalen Coleman lands on no, the no, floor. No, no, how many? But how many is that? How many of, of Ochai at the three? 12. And, or, but Ochai playing the three is the only way you're going to have two lead guards. You're missing out the four minutes he'd be on the bench, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay. 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 Um, Dewan Harris is up to 32 minutes per game in conference play. I'll even be conservative. He's a, he's a staple. Let's say it, it goes to 30. If you're saying we want to play some more of these other guards, maybe it dips a little and it goes to 30. That leaves 26 minutes. So now we're down to 26 minutes for those three guys, Remy Martin, Joe Yesvu, Jalen Coleman-Lance. So Which, based on our conversation from the first segment, we're hoping you get 15 to 20 minutes of, the, of two of those three playing together. Mm-hmm. Um, but that means that one of those three guys either gets butt out and one plays 18 and the other plays eight or 20 and six or however you want to split it, or it means two guys play like 14 and 12 each. I don't think it means all three of those guys play eight, nine minutes. I don't think that's how it's No, especially when you think Dewan's going to dominate those minutes. It's going to be Remy. It, this isn't a conversation. Honestly, I don't think it's it's – when you look at how much Dewan is probably going to play, no, no, no. Dewan's out of the conversation. No, that, no, that's what I'm saying. Putting Dewan out of the conversation, it's not three guys looking at 56 minutes. It's two guys. No, no, no we already took him out. So it's three guys looking at 26. Mm-hmm. Looking at 26. How's it three? Who's the third? Oh, Jalen Coleman. Remy, Joe, Jalen. I haven't put. I haven't thought about Jalen Coleman Lanes. I know you mentioned it, but I, I. So it's to me, this is Remy and Joe. Jalen Coleman Lanes, although he has played more than than. Yesifu so far, so it, it's not wrong to to include him. Um, so it's twenty six minutes for three guys. And that's what I'm saying. There's there's barely enough room. I mean, I mean, I think you're looking at eighteen and eight. Yeah, there, but 18, 18, 5, and three. The point is, there's not enough room for both Joe and Remy to both play fifteen minutes a game, or for one to play ten and the other to play twenty. I mean, there's barely enough room for one of them to play fifteen to twenty minutes, right? So I, I think this time without Remy is in that situation where now, you, like it's pointed out in front of you, if let's say that 26 minutes is, is going to get divvied up between, let's say you have 18 to one guy, 8 to the other, 20 and 6, that means somebody, one of those three is getting kind of butt out. And if it ends up being that, you know, Joe Yesifu is performing really well over these handful of games and he's able to carve out, carve out a role with the team and they go on a roll and they don't want to mess with something that's working... That's going to be really hard for Remy Martin. Small sample size, but to, to make the argument a little more for Remy Martin, not versus Joe, Joe Yesifu, but versus Jalen Coleman-Lands, um, 
Yesifu, Phil, again, small sample size, but just what we saw the other night versus what we've seen from Jalen Coleman-Lands all season, mm-hmm. um, I think Yesifu filled up the stat sheet in more places than Jalen Coleman-Lands would. It could very well get to the point where Jalen Coleman-Lands is nothing more than filling in for Ochai's four minutes off the bench. Yeah. It's just, it's going to be really tough. It's it's going to be very much a uh, time constraint. All right, we're going to take a time out. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, klwn.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it.